We are in the book of Colossians today. Colossians, well, I was going to say Colossians chapter 1, but there's really only one chapter. We are in Colossians 17 through 25. It's going to be the focus of our study today, but I'm going to read the entire book of Philemon. Philemon. That's the book we're in. And I've done this once already today. No, Yes, we are in the book of Philemon today. Philemon, um, there's four chapters in Colossians. There's only one in Philemon. We're going to be in Philemon 17, 12, yeah. Wow. We are in Philemon 17 through 25. I'm going to read the entire book, starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And here's our focus for today. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do not wish, brother, that I may have some. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. God and Father above, your word can be difficult to understand at times, even without us getting in our own ways as we seek to study, as we seek to learn, as we seek to grow. Open our eyes today by the power of your spirit. Help us to see your glories in your word. And as I prayed before, help us to grow daily closer to that image that we have been remade in. As we study this word, we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So in today's passage, we get to the meat of Paul's request of Philemon. Onesimus has run away as 
Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. He has run away. He has done some type of financial or or some type of damage to Philemon and to his household. And he's on his way back. And the culture around Philemon had a, a pretty prescriptive way that you dealt with a runaway slave that returns and is restored. And it was oftentimes mean. It was oftentimes vindictive and pretty much involved a fair amount of punishment, sometimes even up to just shy of death, to make the point that you are my property, you belong to me, and you don't do these types of things to me. That's what the culture was telling Philemon to do. And Paul asked him to do something very much countercultural, something that would have stuck out like a sore thumb to the people around him, as Philemon, if he does what Paul requests, what Paul is confident that he will do, as Philemon welcomes Onesimus back as a brother in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, welcomes him back just as he would welcome Paul back into his household. Paul is confident in this Because he knows the power of the gospel to change lives, to change hearts. And Paul has put his confidence in three things that I want us to look at today. First, in the routine of the gospel. Second, in the reconciliation of the gospel. And thirdly, in the refreshing of the gospel. Paul here calls upon Philemon to refresh his heart. And we'll look at that here a little bit more deeply, but... I want us to consider, before we look at what the refreshment is, but consider that this is not the first time in Paul's letter that he has used this particular word. Earlier in verse six, Paul said, or seven, excuse me, Paul says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul says earlier in his letter to Philemon that that you habitually show your love to the church that meets in your house. And that love brings rest and refreshment to those that you interact with on a on a daily or weekly basis. Paul is calling Philemon to do something right here that he already does. Now, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him to do it this time because he was betrayed by Onesimus. Onesimus ran away and caused some type of damage in his household. But Paul is not asking Onesimus or Philemon to do anything more than what he is already in the practice of. We oftentimes feel like we're called to to, to do hard things in our lives. And, And we are. God calls and reaches out to us to to put sin to death in our lives. He, He reaches out to us and calls us to engage with other people in love and in reconciliation. But typically, God is not going to stretch you or ask you to do, excuse me, something that you're not already practicing at some level in your life. Or if he's going to call you to do something that you're not practicing at this moment in your life, he may work on you for a little while in other areas. I read a book a couple of years ago called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And the point that the author makes in there is that God sanctifies us 
in the average, everyday, boring moments of our life. When we consider the book of Colossians and those relationships between husband and wife, between parent and child, and between employee and employer, we were reminded that God calls us to work our holiness out, not in big moments of temptation, but every moment of our life in the little relationships or the relationships that we feel to be little. In, in, the, in the relationships that we feel to be boring and ordinary, that is where God calls us to work out our faith, to work out our sanctification, to put on the holiness and to put off the old man. Is God calling you to show love to an extremely difficult coworker? Well, first, he will see how well you're showing love to your family when they are difficult. Do you want to stand strong for the truth of the scripture when confronted in a public setting? Typically, God will work standing strong for the truths of the scripture in your own home before he calls you to do those things. The power of the gospel is in the routine in those everyday, ordinary moments of your life. And when you have successes in those ordinary, everyday moments through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is working strength in you to where he calls you to do the same thing, but in a greater setting, in a harder situation. Paul can be confident that Philemon will be able to refresh Paul's heart because that's what Paul, Philemon is known for doing in the church on a regular basis. So we see the routine of the gospel. Secondly, we see the reconciliation of the gospel. Onesimus owes Philemon some type of debt, whether it's merely the debt of lost work or if it or the debt of Philemon, of Onesimus having stolen something from Philemon. Regardless, Onesimus owes a debt to Philemon that must be paid. And Paul is willing to redeem Onesimus's debt. Paul uses phrases as he talks to, to Philemon in this passage. He uses the phrase in the Lord and in Christ as he calls for benefit and refreshing for his own heart. This reminds us that the foundation and the strength for seeking reconciliation with Onesimus is found in the gospel and its work in our own lives. Both Onesimus and Philemon have been moved from being enemies with God, debtors to God, to being reconciled, adopted sons of that same living God. And this has happened because they have been crucified and raised with Christ. Because of this, they are on equal footing before God. They are brothers through and in Jesus. And Paul's appeal is for Philemon to remember what he has been forgiven and offer forgiveness to Onesimus. This reminded me of a passage in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Beginning in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy seven times or seventy times seven, depending upon your translation. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, 
cancel the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is my this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Paul here is reminding Philemon. I introduced you to the gospel. I introduced you to the king to whom you owed an unpayable debt. The amount of money that's talked about here that the first servant owes the king is is a is a is a like a thousand years worth of salary that he owed the king. And Paul reminds Philemon, he says, look, your your debt that would have to God that would have been impossible for you to pay. When you begged God through the power of the gospel to forgive you, he forgave your debt. In comparison, the debt that Onesimus owes you is like a five dollar or a ten dollar bill. I am confident that in the power of the gospel that has brought you reconciliation with God, that you can find reconciliation and forgiveness with Onesimus. You have been forgiven much in this moment. Forgive little. We. Each and every one of us are sinful human beings. We either cause offense or we are the victim of offense. People betray us. People take things from us, whether it's reputation or money or whatever it is from us that they should not take from us. They harm us. They hurt us. And then they come back. Redeemed, forgiven, reconciled to God, asking us as brothers and sisters in Christ to forgive them. And we are called to do that. We are called to forgive When we forgive, we make four promises, according to Ken Sandy. We we promise not to dwell on the incident. You know, the the inward sign of a grudge is just replaying the incident over and over and over again in your head. But we promise when we forgive that we will not dwell on it. Secondly, we promise I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. In the same book, Peacemaker, that Ken Sandy lays out these four promises, he tells the story of a husband and wife who came to him for counseling and reconciliation. He heard the wife's side of the story. He turned to the husband and said, well, what do you think about conflict and arguments within your marriage? He said, well, every time we get in an argument, my wife gets historical. Ken Sandy said, do you mean hysterical? He goes, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything I've done in the past. When we forgive somebody, we promise not to bring it up and use it against them ever again. Third, we promise not to talk to others about this incident. Now, sometimes the incidences are so bad that we have to go and seek help and counseling and mediation to work through these things. But 
Once we offer forgiveness, we promise not to talk about the incident in a damaging or demeaning way, in a way that tarnishes the reputation of the person that we have forgiven. And fourthly, we promise that I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Once we offer forgiveness, we should seek reconciliation. And sometimes the betrayals, sometimes the faults against us are so great that those boundaries need that there need to be boundaries placed around the reconciliation, whether it's a third party, a chaperone or or whatever it is and the time that it takes. But we should agree and promise that when we forgive, we seek reconciliation. And Paul was reminding Philemon that God had made these promises to him when he forgave him. And through the power of the gospel, Philemon had the power to make and keep these promises to Onesimus as he forgives and seeks reconciliation. And this is the sharing of the gospel that Paul talked about earlier in the book when he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. That's the it's the active in the fellowship of your faith. Not only is the world watching Philemon, the church is watching Philemon. How does this man who probably preaches to and hosts a church in his home, how is he going to apply the gospel in this moment in his life? And Philemon has an opportunity to refresh the church once again through his forgiveness and reconciliation to Onesimus or to show that the gospel does not have the power that everyone proclaims that it does. What are we being called to confront in our lives? What are you being called to confront in your life? It may seem impossible, but the power of the gospel will provide you the foundation and the basis for the work so that the whole church may be encouraged. So the the gospel has power in its routine. The gospel has power in its reconciliation. And the gospel has power in its refreshing. Have you ever been involved in a church where there was a conflict or a disagreement or something and there was just tension in the air? It was just that sense of not knowing what's going to happen next. It's kind of a mixture of fear. It's kind of a mixture of uncertainty and tension and aggravation and a little bit of anger thrown into the mix. It can be very tiring to walk into a church like that. But Paul reminds Philemon that the gospel has the power to refresh. A lot of times in those situations within the church, within a family, one person comes to a realization that I have sinned. And the gospel has covered my sin, but I still need to ask forgiveness for those who are out there and who I may not be the whole problem, but I've contributed to it in my sin. And that person may get up in a meeting or may walk up to somebody that they know they've offended. And it's like cool, refreshing water in a desert just pouring over the situation, providing rest, providing peace and turning the church from a place that nobody wants to walk into to a place where they can walk in on a Sunday morning and find rest and refreshment. Now, I don't think we have that situation here, but the gospel refreshes The church was watching Philemon, possibly with a sense of tension, possibly with a sense of wonder, possibly asking themselves, is this gospel 
really powerful. And Paul says, refresh me, refresh my heart, refresh the church, that rest that Jesus promises all you who are heavy laden, all you who are burdened, take my yoke upon you and find rest. It's the same word we have here that Paul says, bring refreshment upon my heart. Brothers and sisters, not only is there difficulty in the church at times, but it's a hard, hard life to live in this world. Many of us walk in here on a Sunday morning bruised and broken. Oh, we put the smile on our face. We 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 give the rah rah hallelujah. Everything's fine. I'm blessed and highly favored. But we're broken inside. We are here to refresh each other. We are here through the power of the gospel to to pour cooling water upon a boiling life. We are here through the power of the gospel to refresh, to give rest, to give peace to one another. When we stand up to pass the peace, we're called to refresh one another in the power of the gospel. The routine of the gospel, the reconciliation of the gospel and the refreshing of the gospel. The truths of God have always been countercultural. We wrongly believe that that was not the case in the early 20th century. Even then, the truth that we cannot save ourselves and desperately need a savior was extremely countercultural in our world. However, today there are more visible truths that are countercultural, truths about marriage, truths about the very existence of God, truths about gender even. Someday just saying the sentence Marriage is between one man and one woman can get will get you in a lot of trouble in many places that day is today. But the gospel gives us power to stand up and to do the countercultural things to be beacons of truth, to be beacons of hope, to be beacons of refreshment in a weary world. Our world does not do, do good with forgiveness and reconciliation. And yet that is what we offer. That is what we live. That is what we show to the world through the power of the gospel. We have been forgiven much. We have been reconciled much. We have the opportunity to show that forgiveness and reconciliation to a world that watches and to a family that watches as well. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, empower us through the gospel. Remind us that the gospel has the power to work with us in the routines of our lives, those boring times when we don't think you're doing anything. The power of the gospel is at work there, helping us to put on the new man. As we walk into areas of betrayal, whether we are the betrayers or we have been betrayed, remind us of the power of the gospel to reconcile even the most opposing of people. And when we walk weary through this world, remind us that as we walk through the doors of this church, our brothers and sisters are here at your call, not only to worship you, but to show the refreshing of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.